0: It is really, really good to be here with you. Uh, my name is Paul Jorgensen. I served at Cornerstone Church. I am now serving at a ministry called Mokahum Discipleship Ministry, which is on the Leech Lake Reservation about 10 miles east of Bemidji, Minnesota. Our purpose is to disciple Native American believers who generally are coming off the reservation. And it's, it's a ministry that I... I absolutely love. There's been a lot going on. I, I want to start by thanking you as a church for your willingness to support this ministry, to help us out. For those who were here when you made the donation for the garage, the garage is up and running. The cars are in it. Uh, we don't have electricity yet. We got a local electrician to compass the electrical work, and God blessed him, and he got real busy. So uh, we're still hoping that uh, that'll be able to happen. Um, we started in... Uh, last fall, with five students, and students come and go in this ministry. We in January we had five students. Uh, since then, uh, one has left. In fact, if I understand correctly, yes, uh, Friday he had an interview at Teen Challenge in Brainerd, and we're hoping he can get into that program because he had some needs that that we just couldn't meet. We're seeing our students grow. We're seeing them grow spiritually. Um, Two of the guys work at Menards in Bemidji, and I just found out that they will be starting a Bible study with five or six other employees at Menards there, which is really, really exciting. Uh, in addition to that, um, we had a, we had a, an interesting experience this last week. On Monday, we were in federal court in Fargo with one of our students who um, committed an assault about four years ago, and it finally got to a sentencing. Since then, he has come to Christ. I mean, the changes have been enormous, and uh, we wanted to support him and all of that, so we went to the court. When I got to the court, I found out that I was supposed to give a statement in court, which I didn't know uh, I was going to have to do, which is probably better that way because instead I'd be thinking about how can I convince the judge, and I I just walked up there and said, God help me because I don't want to mess this up. And uh, bottom line was he was sentenced to 22 months, uh, in a low security facility. Um, that is eight months less than the minimum. So the judge saw what had happened in his life. And we decided as an organization that what we're going to do is, in addition to praying for him, we're going to commission him and send him. We're going to send him into the prison as a missionary. And for those 22 months, we expect God to do great things. That's what Mocha hum is all about. So I just want to thank you for your involvement with us. Now, you've been working through the book of James, and last week you had a chance to talk about dealing with temptation, and you talked about four things that help with temptation. First of all, the Word. Secondly, the Holy Spirit. The third thing was fellowship, and the fourth thing was prayer. And then that section of Scripture ended with this verse, and it's found in James chapter 1, and it's in verse... 16 and i would or excuse me verse 17 and i'd like to start by reading there it says this james 1:17. i want to invite you to turn in your bibles or go to your bible app or whatever and follow along in the word of god we have this opportunity to use the word and the fact of the matter is if we have a privilege if we don't use it we lose it so james 1 17 says this it says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift. And then he goes on in one, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, and he talks about one of those gifts, and that's what we're going to focus on today. So let me read one eighteen. He, that's God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. I noodled on that one for a long time. First of all, God made a choice. He chose us. Every single person in this room has been chosen by God. And for those of us who know what it's like to not be chosen, that takes on a special meaning. And he chose us by giving us the word of truth, which results in spiritual life. In other words, the truth that we talked about, that we talked about right before we had communion, where Andy took the time to go through the truth of the gospel and to hear that again, just does this really good but then it goes on he says he did this so that something would happen so that we could be a kind of first fruits and that word first fruit kind of grabbed me because i thought i don't really use that word very much so i started doing a little bit of study and i discovered that first fruits were the the beginnings of the harvest whenever it was harvest time they would take the first crops whatever they might be that were harvested and they would offer them to god that's the first fruits. But there was a meaning behind that. The first meaning of first fruits is this it's designed to give God glory to acknowledge that God is the one who ultimately provides for us. And so they would do that with a ceremony where they would bring these first beginning of the harvest and bring them to God. But there was a second meaning as well that I discovered it's that not only are the first fruits designed to give glory to God, but they're also designed to show what's coming. And you see this especially in the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament talks about, in First Corinthians, it talks about the people who are going to be raptured first, those who are dead and in the grave for believers will be raised to life before the rest of us are. Those ones that are raised first, they're the first fruits. In other words, they're showing what's coming. I really hope when Jesus comes back that I'm sitting by a cemetery. I want to see that happen. I think that would be great. And so he goes on and he says that we're first fruits. And then what he does is he goes through the rest of this section of scripture all the way up to the end and he talks about how to live as first fruits. And so, how do I live in a way that brings glory to God? And how do I live in a way that shows people what's coming? Or, put another way, what God is doing? And we're going to go through those and take a look at them. He starts out in verse 19 or excuse me in verse 20 and he says this my dear brothers take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God's desires and I so wish that wasn't there it's so hard to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I'm like everybody else. If I'm having a disagreement or a conversation with somebody, basically I wait till they breathe, and then I want to jump in and tell them what I have to say. I think we all do that. But he's saying, no, if you're going to be a first shirt, if you're going to be someone who gives glory to God and shows people what God is doing, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen. In other words, working hard to understand what the other person is trying to say. And I find many times I don't do that. I don't take the time to understand what another person is trying to say or communicate to me. I make assumptions about what they're saying, and then I react to those assumptions. Then it goes on and it says, be slow to speak. Take our time, not immediately jump in, not immediately have to have the last word, but to take our time and actually listen to them and respond to that in a way that's respectful, and then slow to become angry. There's times when we become angry. That's that's true, when there's injustice or something like that. Believe me, at Mocom, I've had my times, you know, where I've seen things happen. We do become angry, but the question is, what do we do with that anger? Because the anger itself isn't going to change anything. And as I looked at that, I realized that basically he's just describing one character quality, Humility. Humility. These are the marks of a humble person. A humble person is going to be a person who wants to understand what's being said before jumping in. A humble person is going to take their time to make sure they get it right. A humble person might get angry, but they're not going to act on that anger. And humility is absolutely essential if we're going to show Christ to other people. Pride, my experience has been, pride is one of the biggest Sources of tension and conflict. In fact, I live in Bemidji, Minnesota. Okay, Bemidji and that area is full of little churches. All right, didn't used to be full of little churches. It was full of a few big churches. But you know what happened? Pride. And so then people they don't get their way. And a lot of these con- a lot of these conflicts with so then churches. I've been pulled into a couple of them, sort of as a, as a consultant. You realize it really isn't about the issue. It's just about who's in charge, who gets their way. And I wonder how many times that happens for us. It really isn't about the issue. It's about who's in charge and who gets their way. The Bible says God resists the proud. One of our students did actually a little Bible study on this passage this last week, and they made a comment. I, I told them this is a mic drop moment. i got to pass this on. They said this, I don't want God as my enemy. I thought that's pretty good. Because if we're proud and operating in pride, we're making God our enemy because the Bible says God resists the proud. Humble people have nothing to prove. <laughs> humble people are committed to truth, not being right. <clears throat> Excuse me. A humble person is someone who will listen to learn a lot, create deep, meaningful relationships, even if they disagree. And guess what? You probably have heard already it is an election year. There's going to be a lot of nasty stuff. And that doesn't mean we compromise on our principles, but it means we communicate our principles in humility and learn to listen to other people. And what I sometimes discover when I listen to people who have very different political views that I have, they want the same thing. They just think it's a different way to get there, and you can have that conversation instead of just alienating people, which I think is what's attempting of being attempted to be done with us anyway the other thing is this if followers of jesus if i'm a non-believer and followers of jesus care enough to listen to me then maybe jesus cares enough to listen to me it used to be that the way we did evangelism when we'd have big events kind of like big shows and uh, you bring in a band and you bring in a great speaker who's really funny and can share the gospel, and you give an invitation and people come forward. (coughs) Excuse me. That seems to be shifting in our culture. It seems to be much more about individual relationships that are bringing people to Christ. In fact, I have a lot of conversations with people who don't know the Lord, and I ask them, I'm curious, you've heard the gospel, why aren't you a believer? They almost never tell me that it's something that's in the Bible. Most of them haven't read the Bible. They don't know what's in there. But what they do talk about is the behavior of people who say they believe the Bible. That behavior is what's keeping them from Jesus. I don't want to be that way. I want to be a person who brings glory to God and shows people what God is doing. So the first thing in this, if you want to put it all together in one thing, a person who is a first fruit, who brings glory to God and shows people what God is doing, they're humble. And it's seen in how they react with other people. Well, it moves on. In James one twenty one. it says this, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I don't think I need to get, need to get into a definition of moral filth and evil. <laughs> Simply to say well, God is, what he's saying here is, <coughs> excuse me, what he's saying here is, if the Bible says something is wrong, view it as wrong. End of discussion. And if the Bible says something is right, view it as right which means a few things. Sexuality, one man, one woman coming together in a covenant relationship for their lifetime. That's God's plan. That's God's ideal. Sexual intimacy is reserved for that relationship. Christopher Yuan is a a Bible professor down at Moody Bible Institute who um, came out of a gay lifestyle and uh, says himself, he still has those attractions, but he's choosing to live a celibate life. He says... In holy sexuality, there's only two options: either marital faithfulness or holy celibacy. One of the two. (laughs) Excuse me. Doesn't need to come. By the way, I am coming off a little thing here in my lungs, so um, if I keel over, the numbers are nine one one. Just so you know. Okay. Anyway, um, but there are other things too. You know, an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. That's a biblical principle, or <clears throat> if you're hiring somebody full-time, <clears throat> pay them a living wage. Caring for people who are disadvantaged, who can't do it on their own, who need help. Forgiving people. And the trouble is we're surrounded by compromise and corruption. And it's hard because we're like the frog in the, in the, in the, in the dish where the water is slowly getting heated up and we don't notice it, and our body temperature changes to the temperature of the water. But God is saying, no, stay the line. Our director, Paul Mitchell, is a full-blood Lakota. He attends a church in Bemidji. A couple weeks ago, he was telling me about this. He said he was in the worship service. They were singing, and he said, I can hear this wailing in the background, and I could smell this smell. I didn't know what it was. And he said, I started looking around, you know, because, you know, what's going on? Is somebody in trouble here? And he couldn't see anybody having any kind of difficulty, but he knows he heard it. After the service, somebody came up to him and said, "Hey, I got a question for you because you're native and I'm not, but you know, how do you bring together native traditional practices like native spiritual practices and Christianity? And he said, what do you mean? He said, oh, stuff like smudging and dream catchers and and sweats and all that kind of stuff. And Paul looked right at him and said, you don't. And Paul said what was going on was this guy had been playing with the dark side and the wailing that he was hearing, Paul is convinced to this day, and I'm not gonna disagree with him, was actually a spiritual battle going on in this guy. And Paul could hear it because he does it as a gift of discernment. Maybe we're not, nobody in the room is is tempted to engage in those kinds of practices. But what are other practices that we are tempted to engage in? And you can't bring them together. Oil and water don't mix. Light and darkness don't mix. We've got to look at our hearts and our lives and look at the Word and say, is there stuff that I'm doing that I just need to get out of this? Anyway, we're going to keep moving here. Oh, the second thing. Um, first one, be humble. Second thing, be holy. Yeah, It's going to be H words for a while, and then I couldn't find an H word, so we're going to have something else. Okay, anyway, James 1, to 27. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight ring on his tongue, his religion is worthless. Oh, I skipped one. I'm sorry. James 1, 22. Let's go there instead. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like, which is kind of dumb. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, that man will be blessed in what he does. This is the crux. Listening to a sermon, going to a Bible study, even reading the Bible and not acting on what you hear, is like a, somebody who looks in the mirror, <clears throat> sees that they missed a spot of shaving, makeup got smeared up, or there's the aftermath of a big sneeze on their face, and don't do anything about it. Is like a person who hears the word of God and doesn't do anything about it. When I was at Cornerstone Church, it was it was kind of a new thing for me when I first got there. After the service, people would come up and say, "Good sermon, Pastor." And I took it as a compliment I said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, I learned about a year in that, you know, what was really going on here? So I started asking people, oh, okay, well, what did you find particularly helpful in the sermon? Oh, well, you know, it it was just a good sermon. Okay. What was really good for you? What helped you? Oh, I don't know. All of it. You know what that told me? So if you come to me this morning afterwards and say, good sermon pastor. You're going to get asked what was good, okay, because that's why we're here. That's the whole purpose. Of it. The point is, is that we're called to look intently into the Word of God, to read it, to try to understand it, and then to apply it to our lives. And I don't believe you have to apply an entire sermon to your life because nobody can do that. But one thing, one thing from today that God wants me to work on today, I'm going to work on that. That's what I'm going to do. Some people say, well, there's a lot in the Bible I don't understand. I join the club. Mark Twain, who was hardly a believer, said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the part that I do understand that bother me. Maybe that's true for all of us. This means we need to be obedient. doesn't mean we need to be perfect, because we're not going to be perfect. But be obedient in that area that God calls us to be obedient in, at this time, whether it's my personal Bible study or in my small group or in a sermon to take that next step, whatever it might be. So we need to be humble. We need to be holy. And we need to be obedient. And then it goes on and he finishes up. James 1, 26, 27. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight ring on his tongue, his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as faultless and pure is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, that word religion and being religious has kind of a negative connotation for us. Somebody says, oh, you're, you're really religious. Well, I don't want to be religious. You know, I want to follow Jesus. But back in the day in the first century, that was considered a high compliment if somebody's religious. So I thought, what would be a high compliment today? Suddenly <coughs> I thought, well, Being a real follower of Jesus, that's a good thing. That's something we want to do. So I'm going to read that again (coughs) and substitute those words. Just listen to it. If anyone considers himself a real follower of Jesus and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, his claims are worthless. Following Jesus in a way that God our Father accepts as faultless and pure as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Real followers of Jesus watch their language. And this isn't just the seven bad words, which aren't seven bad words anymore. This is any language that tears people down, that rips them to shreds, that leaves a stain on their on their heart and on their soul. Name-calling certainly fits into that category. Seems like there's been a lot of that lately people who don't call names, who treat people with respect, even if we disagree with them, to build them up, see peace instead of conflict, to speak truth instead of lies. That is what the mouth of a real follower of Jesus does. And it goes on, it talks about caring for those in need. Orphans and widows were two groups of people back then who desperately needed help because they didn't have a social net. So we look for the people that are in need, who need help. Needing help, uh, helping people doesn't necessarily mean giving them everything. We had that issue with our students because for the first time at Mocahom, our students are working before they weren't allowed to work. And so they were coming and then they were expected to get like food money every month handed to them. And Paul Mitchell, our director, said, this is a bad idea. This is teaching the wrong thing. So he told all the students, he says, guess what? We're still going to give you lunch when you have class, but rest of the time, you're on your own. You better get a job and we'll help you get a job. In fact, we got a student that's going to be hired at a, at, a, at a homeless shelter in Cass Lake here coming up, which we're pretty excited about. We're helping people to be everything God made them to be. And then they keep their values from being compromised by the world values. How do I do that? Well, worship, which we did today. The Word, getting truth coming in, prayer, spending time talking to God, listening to God, and serving. These are the marks that show people that God is getting the glory and what God is doing. And each of us are called in our context to live like that. Back in the day when we were raising support to go to Austria, I got a job in an apartment complex working as a maintenance man. My boss was a guy named Bill. Bill was a really good maintenance man and Bill probably drowned down close to a bottle of Jack Daniels every night, okay? But he was a really good maintenance man. So they kind of looked the other way on that, and I worked with him. I learned a lot about maintenance. It was really great. He found out I was a believer fairly quickly, and away it went. And every day, working eight hours with this guy, it was nonstop questions, arguments, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, this was really good for me. i got to admit, I got a little tired of it after a while because it didn't seem like he was moving at all. Well, then one night, Bill got drunk. A tenant complained about something, and Bill being Bill, he punched him. Okay? And Bill got fired. What I didn't understand is I got fired too. But so both of us got fired. And I was really mad. And so I went over to see Bill, and, and Bill was kind of not even really apologetic, and that just made me even madder. And so we started talking, and, 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 and I said, you know what the problem with you is? And he said, what? I said, you're angry all the time. And he said, what do you mean I'm angry all the time? I'm not angry. Of course, he was yelling at me, you know, that type of thing. And I said, well, listen to the way you talk. And then I started talking the way he does, which was an expletive every sentence. Okay, and I used them all because I wanted them to, and as soon as I started doing that, he said, stop, 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 stop. He said, you can't talk like that. So what do you mean I can't talk like that? You talk like that. Yeah, but you can't. It's different. I said, why? What's different about it? He said, you have to be good. I said, why do I have to be good? He said, because if you're not good, I have no hope. Do you realize you have people in your life that are looking at you if you're a follower of Jesus, looking for you to be good, because if you're not good, they have no hope. Every one of us has an arena where we can serve Jesus, where we can do two things, where we can bring glory to God and show people what God is doing. And the way to do it is to be humble, be holy, Be obedient and follow Jesus with our mouths and with our actions and with our life. This was mentioned to me by Andy Johnson. I do want to bring it up. I'd forgotten to mention it earlier. He said, if you want to know if you're quick quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry, ask your kids or ask your spouse if you say, oh, they're just going to tell me what's wrong with me. Well, there's your answer right there. God is going to use us to make a difference in people's lives. I'm convinced of that. He already is. But let's follow the advice of James from the which is really the advice of God. Do that. Here's what I'd like to do in closing. I'd like us to take a little time, just in the silence. Ask God this question, which is something we do quite often with our students, based on everything I just heard what do you want me to do? And listen to him. Based on everything I just heard, what do you want me to do? And then listen to him. And after he tells you, and he will if you seek him seriously, he really will, I'd like to ask you to do something else because this is accountability. After he tells you that, tell somebody else what he told you. And then do it let's do this. Let's take some time. Let's talk to God. What do you want me to do? Lord God, thank you for the fact that if we lack wisdom, according to your word in the book of James, you give wisdom to us. And you do so generously, and you do so without finding fault. Help us to believe and not doubt. Help us to act and not wait. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for what you're doing in them and through them and around them. Bless that richly, Father. Help them to be people who bring you glory in everything they do and show others what you are doing in everything they do. I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.